0: Hi, I'm Meredith, and I'm Kristen. We'd like to welcome you to the Writer's Story. It is blazingly hot here. Not as hot as Phoenix, Arizona, but
1: it's hot and sticky. It's pretty, done. It's pretty, pretty darn. It's pretty darn hot. And so. now I'm hearing this language of wet bulb temperatures, where I guess it's kind of like what I grew up with—the wind chill up in northern Minnesota. People talked about you know, the air temperature, and the temperature because of the wind. That's the wind chill. And now I'm hearing this wet bulb temperature, which is, I guess, taking into account the humid factor. Uh, the humid and factor.
0: How... Well, that um, there was a roll of thunder that lasted about 20 seconds.
1: <laughs> yeah. Did you hear it here too?
0: Yeah, I can hear it right house, here.
1: My house. Yeah.
0: So yeah. I don't know. I don't know where it's happening, but it feels like it's rained every day. Um, just a little bit. Sometimes a it's lot.
1: Been pretty good. I, I feel like it's been kind of good summer, summer type rain. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not, not the floods like Yellowstone. Okay. We can get into um, climate change conversation. Maybe we will with our guests later, but. Later. But um, we're writing. It is hot. And, and, we're writing.
0: and, and um, we both are at a similar word count right now. Um, sort of closing in on the end of our books. Maybe yeah. slightly different um, places in that process, but I thought it'd be interesting to talk about kind of finishing up. Like, yeah. how do you know when you're done? Right. Um, how do you know when you're close? What are you aiming for? Yeah. Do you give yourself a drop dead deadline? Yeah. Do you? Um, I usually I try sometimes, and then I just move it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I do sometimes. In this case, I have, it's the, like, the end of the first week of July. And that's mainly because July turns into a big family visiting month. Mm -hmm. And things go off the rails in terms of creative writing projects. And that can be okay if the projects are at a place that I can leave them to come back to. But this project I'm working on right now, I feel like I'm really need to stay with the idea to a kind of end. So I do have a kind of drop that deadline.
0: that Yeah, I mean, I'm trying for the summer uh, to have a deadline at some point and then send it out to readers. Um, I think I'm in a slightly different place than you. And that is <clears throat> my draft is now my first draft is pretty much done. So for a while, I did the sort of the helicopter draft, and I was saying, what scenes, now that I'm done with my draft, what scenes don't need to be here? What scenes am I missing? I didn't have enough happening in the middle of the book, and so I went and created more stuff for the middle of the book. Um, and I'm closing in on 70,000. I'm just, you know, 69, 500. And at that point. And and, and what I'm doing is I'm hoping to add at least another 10,000. And that is all the stuff that I leave out in my hurry to get through my first draft. And that is, what's the weather? What does this place look like? You know, who is this other character? Am I, you know, going to develop more who they are? Do I know what they look like? Um, Maybe I'm going to start consulting more maps. I did change a location, one of my locations. And so I need to go look at maps of Atlanta and figure out like sort of maybe, I have a a scene in a hotel um, conference center, and I did did it for Savannah when it was originally in Savannah, but now I need to think about, well, what hotel would be there? What's the fancy hotels? What would be a place that they would have a jewelry auction oh fun you know and that kind of thing and how and how can I describe it you know a little better yeah than just generic hotel so that's the kind of stuff that ends up really fleshing out the story yeah
1: yeah yeah I am not there with mine I'm in however you described the draft helicopter 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 edit edit. I like that the helicopter draft I'm in that stage and since you put me onto the Scrivener software I can do that a little bit more easily than I have with any other book. Have you Um, used the index cards? Yes I use them all the time so I can see exactly where things anyway. Did you export
0: it to an outline
1: yet? I have a different outline so I think I've done this kind of cruelly, well you
0: can but... export your little note cards into an outline format okay well if you're cool. you know it's sometimes useful I don't know if you print stuff out I know you probably want to conserve paper but I sometimes find especially I, I do this mostly with like the first 50 pages I don't do the whole book but to do a more close edit paper edit sometimes is really
1: useful yeah, I sometimes, I often feel, after I've gotten the book, into what I feel like is a very strong draft. I'll print it out, thinking I'm going to go through that hard copy and edit, and I start that way, and then I inevitably get over back into the computer, and it starts taking on again. And the editing takes on a little life of its own. So I my experience has been that I have a feeling I want to do it in hard copy, but well, then I'm back. one
0: close edit thing that i do and this is very near the end and i did this with my last book and i i think i I will want to do it always again is i use the computer scrivener voice to read it or
1: have it it read out loud
0: it reads it out loud and and that's when you start catching things like have have (laughs)
1: right you know or
0: or some or or you're just like this sentence what's happening with this sentence it's just going on forever
1: (laughs) (laughs) well I am not there yet that's for sure I have a similar word count situation as you but my book is going to be longer because it is more like kind of science fiction so there's a bit of world building and but like you i have bracketed out sort of sections that i will return to to fill in details and i've done that in an effort to keep the momentum of the story the plot what happens and how is my characters evolving alive keeping that as a priority and it's not really been all that intentional it's more of a kind of gut feeling of rushing toward the end and in this case with this book i feel like my ending um i didn't have i had a kind of an idea of what it would be like when i was working out the book at the beginning but it has continued to um become more and more i feel like it's getting it's clarifying more and more and i'm excited about that how it could how it could take shape that's awesome that's yeah awesome. and now you have had a sense of your ending from the start, right? Uh, or has it changed?
0: <laughs> yes and no. I actually, you know, I did actually find my original idea and it was not the same ending at all. Yeah. So I think the kind of the part of the, the vision that I had for it was actually went through the end of act two And then act three was an add-on because as I wrote the book, I realized she's got to go back to her past and confront, you know, her past. So, so that became this whole add-on. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah. So that, that was, that's an interesting process. I think always, I like to know where I'm going, but I'm, you know, I'm open to, to adding more stops, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, so, and then, and also just to understand that you may not yeah. have known what was a satisf- what a satisfying ending was going to be when you started the process. Yeah. And then maybe you need a more element of surprise or maybe that's the ending your character wishes for, but they're not gonna get the ending that they wished for. Yeah. 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 So I think there's a ways to, You can surprise yourself. And I think in doing so, you also surprise your reader because if you were thinking you were on a certain train. Yeah. You know. But yeah, the thing I always um, like to keep in mind is to focus on whether or not your book is a tragedy or a comedy. And by comedy, I don't mean like it's laugh out loud funny. Right. But that what actually happens is that your character gets what they want. Yeah yeah Um, so there's those and then a tragedy is not a happy ending not a happy ending (laughs) they do not get what they want so you know and having a clear idea of what your character wants really helps the writing process and I think some people skip that step and they kind of have like a character that's meandering through and isn't quite sure maybe they're trying to find themselves and that's exhausting to write if you if you don't have a character that has some kind of goal in mind you know yeah yeah you know whether it's you know Dorothy trying to get home or you know it it gives your um your story a real arc and it turns out maybe getting home is not really the point of it Mm -hmm. at all but as long as they have something to drive them through from what why they're going from scene to scene you know you're not just like saying oh now two characters will have coffee
1: For pages. (laughs) Talk about what they dreamt last night.
0: Because Um, I don't know what else to do with them, and that just seems like an interesting thing to to learn about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, desire is a really compelling um, drive for us in life and, of course, in a story. And I think it makes it, for me as a reader, having some sympathy for the character. Is, it's easier to have somebody for a character who is um, clear about what he or she wants, especially if it's something that it's going to get them in trouble. <laughs> yep. Um, more more yeah. trouble, more the rocks. The more trouble the better. That's right. Ugh. So, um, yeah, that's, that's also been interesting with this book because my character's desire, um, and goal it hasn't necessarily changed much. Again, it's sort of like the way the, the ending has just taken on more meat and depth. Yep. So and I think you you it's both. like anything you don't
0: know until you get a little closer. Um, what the yeah. possibilities might be. Well, and we're not right. actually going to be talking about fiction at all with our that's guest. That's right.
1: That's right. But um, why don't you yeah. introduce her? I would be happy to. Stephanie Pearson is um, going to be our guest tonight, and she has been writing all of her adult life, publishing um, professionally nonfiction. She is a journalist. She's covered um, travel, culture, the environment, and also she is known as the gear girl. And I just... um, ran into a piece of hers in the new york times in which very recently in the last couple weeks she reviews some gear for cyclists for bicyclists Um, but she has a depth of knowledge and a heart that's huge her it shines through in her writing she has written about um kind of any amazing place you can imagine in the world (laughs) and also some incredible people and again she does so with real astonishing insight she um, is a contributing editor for outside magazine she's written for national geographic traveler for um o, wired she's written for uh, men's journal travel and leisure lonely planet um she's been anthologized in the best american travel writing so Anyway, she's just a fascinating writer, individual person, human being on the planet. And her most recent book is a book written, uh, published by National Geographic that is about our national parks. It's called 100 Great American Parks. And I was lucky enough to see a copy sitting in the window of our independent bookstore downtown, New Dominion, and got, rushed in and grabbed it and I've loved reading it, so it'll be really fun to have her awesome. join us. Awesome. Well, let's call her up. Well, Stephanie, thanks so much for joining us. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's great to meet you. Well, Stephanie, you have been all over the world. I mentioned briefly in, the, in your um, introduction, but also your most recent book, The 100 and here I'm holding it up although our listeners can't see the 100 great American parks published by National Geographic is gorgeous and amazing and I'm wondering how you did this in the midst of covid because it just came out so you wrote this when people were not jumping on airplanes
2: Yes, that is very true. I did not jump on many airplanes to do this book. I have traveled quite a bit in my past life before COVID. And so uh, it actually started out as a in an international park book. And then uh, they approached me in January of 2020 to write it. And then I think in May of 2020, we had to change course and do uh, a domestic parks book. And so, so a lot of the international parks I had been to, um, I think I counted it up once and of the 100, I think I've been to about 70 of them.
1: Wow! So
2: I relied on a lot of my, you know, former life. And then I just did, you know, it was a big research project.
1: Well, it's amazing that content that you have. So every park of course has there. there's the, some photography that goes with it. But the text is so meaty. It's both like super easy to read and digest. You can pick it up and flip to any page, but also you have included an astonishing amount of material, I mean information and things that I like I didn't know about in these associated with these national parks. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about was your attention to um the relationship between Native Americans and indigenous lands and these national parks because it seems like you I I don't read that very often or run across that in descriptions of national parks and it seems like did you was that something that you really attended to in the writing of it or was it something that just emerged out of the research and work that you did
2: well, way. thanks for noticing that. I, I think it's a, a mixture of a lot of things. I think with every park, I, I did as much research on every park as I could, and then I tried to boil it down to the stories that were interesting, really fascinating to me and the stories that I didn't know. Oh, um, and, and in that, I think a lot of the indigenous history came out. Um, but I've also, I was also simultaneously working with National Geographic on a, on a feature I, story about one particular national park and the native story in that um, I, I met with a lot of people who still live in and around this park and through that and just meeting them and hearing their story and sort of their side of how the park came to be and their side of what was there before the park happened. That really sort of tuned me into what's happening all over the country. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that I think I focused on that. And, and when you look at, um, all of these parks together, I, I, I mean, you, you sometimes think of the native or the indigenous story in the Western, Western regions, particularly, but it's across the country, everywhere. Um, and I learned a lot researching this book that I did not know.
1: (laughs) Well, it's really rich, yeah, for, um for all those reasons. And it certainly does. I'm glad that, I'm sorry that you didn't get to do the International Parks book, but I'm really glad that you did this one instead because it feels really, um, I don't know, it just feels really um, accessible. Like I can go to these places and I have a feeling for them now, having read what you've written about them and that they're in the country where I live. Um, so that's a real gift.
2: Well, thank you for that. And, and I think that's the awesome part of this, this book in these parks, they are accessible to everyone. All you have to do is get in your car, pay a lot of money for gas (laughs) and (laughs) go there. Um, and, in in a lot of this stuff is, is, you know, uh, uh, superintendents and interpreters and all of the people who work on park staffs, they're just brilliant experts available to the public.
1: That's so cool. Meredith, have you done much traveling to the national parks? Uh, Well,
0: when I was, I'm going to say, 11, my parents put myself and my younger brother in a VW bus. (laughs) And we camped our way across. national and state parks. We started in California.
2: Hence your brother is a river rafter. Makes all makes (laughs) a river guide. Makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, so I mean that was my parents. They they I I never stayed in a hotel, I don't think, until I was an adult. (laughs) But I was just talking to them about Yellowstone. Because I have a very, I have an eleven-year-old's, you know, vision of Yellowstone, which was I remember we got of the car and it stank, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and Old Faithful was cool, but you know, whatever.
1: <laughs> and it stank what of the the, the sulfur? Air from,
0: yeah. Wow. I mean, those are the things that I I remember from. We also stayed um, at Yosemite. I think it was a different visit to California because my stepfather's family. Uh, let's say in california and the two the two things i i remember as a kid then and i i don't know maybe that was the same summer but i, I don't think so i remember two things and one was that there were helicopters the entire time huh. and it turned out they never told us this but someone had stabbed his girlfriend and she had crawled a half right. a mile uh to safety and they were looking for him and i thought. You know, if you're staying in a park, you might want to know that a guy's running around with a knife, you know. I don't know. Just saying. And the other thing was a very typical story, which was a couple was bathing in a pool above a waterfall, and it ended badly. And so they were looking for that. So I thought both of those things would have been good to know, but they apparently didn't tell us. us. Maybe they tell you if there's a bear or something. I don't know. I'm also just really... I don't know how much is in the book, but I'm just always so stunned when people don't pay attention to the rules of the park. Yeah. And decide to I don't know stumble off drunk into the lava fields or put their kid on a bison or whatever the heck that they do. Did you have did you cover any of those things or were you really more hewing to the like idealized version of good people?
2: No. <laughs> but- I mean, that's an interesting question because, I mean, the parks have been totally under fire for a lot of things in the last couple of years, namely that they're totally overcrowded. And, and I think they're the first to admit that. Um, and I, I think the way that I tried to handle that in the book was to just talk more about the, you know, instead of thinking of these parks as landscapes that you go to look at, trying to more holistically cover them as, as, as historical places of importance that need to be respected. Um, And, and, you know, in the end of the book, there's, you know, ways that you can go to parks that are less intrusive, but yeah, it's, it's a huge problem and people are super disrespectful of the parks and um, a story that I just recently wrote that will be in the most recent issue of outside is about what parks are doing to try to combat some of those things. Mm. Um, but you're right. I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on in you know, on public lands.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, I really appreciated in your introduction, Stephanie, that you, and I think you conclude with, so it's a real kind of ringing, echoing message of caring for these places um, so that they can keep caring for us. You know, a lot of people, and I think people during the pandemic, really came to recognize how much we need the integrity of these wild spaces for the, the health of these wild spaces affects our health. Totally. Um, um, I really also appreciated that in your introduction as I did. So listeners out there, Stephanie and I are from the same town. I have known Stephanie for many, many, many years, and it's so much fun to have you here, Stephanie, but um, she talks in that introduction a little bit about the park that she um, went to as a little kid, which I know as well. We were so lucky to grow up in Duluth, Minnesota, in northern Minnesota, in a place that really did have quite a bit of open, wild space, easily accessible, and in Stephanie's case, it was really right outside the back door. And um, so anyway, it was really fun to read about that. And I think about power of these places for kids and again, for, yeah, for us. But I, I really appreciate your introduction, your um, reminding us to take care of these places.
0: Well, I grew up here in Charlottesville, so very close to Shenandoah mm-hmm. National Park, which is pretty amazing.
1: And you grew up outside a lot, too. Yeah, no, my parents
0: um, had a farm, so I grew up mostly outside
1: (laughs) Yeah, as a a kid. It's a good way to go. Yeah. 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 And Stephanie, you are outside with your work all the time when you, so one of the questions we always want to ask our guests is how did you come to be a writer? And how did you know you were a writer and how did you come to be a writer?
2: Ah, it's such a random journey that I don't know if it would be possible today. But honestly, I was a kid who spent a lot of time outside, but I did not travel much as a kid. The first national park I went to, I was a freshman in college. And um, so I read a lot of magazines. And I, I read National Geographic because my grandparents had it. I read Travel and Leisure because my, my parents had a free subscription to it from a credit card and, um, and then I got, you know, random magazines as Christmas gifts, like interview magazine and like, um, just, you know, and and they all had a very huge impact on me, especially travel and leisure. And I remember when I was in high school, I, I wrote a letter to the editor, she had, she became my virtual friend, like, like, I love the editor of travel and leisure. And so I wrote a letter to her and I was like, how did you get your job? And how can I get a job like yours? And so, I mean, and this was in Duluth, Minnesota, when Duluth was literally in the Arctic Circle. I mean, it was a pretty cut off, depressed town and, you know, we weren't taking trips to New York. And so, um, so she wrote back to me and she gave me super clear instructions. She said, you need to go to a good graduate school and you need to get a good internship. And, And I was like, well, that doesn't seem too difficult. And, and so so then i sort of put that aside and and in college i was up in the boundary waters guiding canoe trips as a job Um, and one of the kids he sort of laughed at me one day and he's like you're a senior in college and you're asking us what we're going to do with our lives but he's like what are you going to do with your life and i said i said well first i'm going to go skiing in colorado because i have a place to live and i have a job (laughs) then i'm probably going to apply to graduate school and so Long story short, I applied to one graduate school, which happened to be journalism school. I got into journalism school and then I happened to remember this editor's advice and really the only magazine I wanted to work for was outside. So I outside happened to be in Chicago where I happened to be at graduate school. So I met with an editor there and it just, they happened to be moving to Santa Fe, New Mexico, where I happened to want to (laughs) live. And then I got an internship and it was just, and then I stayed at outside for years. And um, it was really just a really lucky convergence of following this weird little dream. Um, And it worked out.
1: But you've been, I mean, now writing is hard work. You've been writing through, I mean, you've been writing your way into this all the way along.
2: Yeah, I've been getting edited my way into this (laughs) for a long time too. Yes.
1: It is a collaborative effort, isn't it?
2: yes very much all, so
1: really all writing and yeah. i mean short form long form with long form it's just that we wait longer to get the editorial input right short form you get it sooner
0: <laughs> yeah we don't really have the deadlines i mean yeah. uh, a, some oh a lot of the writers who write fiction now who started as journalists think that writer's block is made up they're like what you do is you sit down and you write because (laughs) you
1: do it anyway you need to have copy yeah yeah well yeah it's a it's an interesting great story of serendipity and and also of intention being clear and have some having some gumption i was too intimidated to write to people that i admired (laughs) having to write
2: like to the editor of a magazine that I admired. It was also a little bit of just sort of uh, ignorance, I think, you know, I didn't know what else to do. So that's what I did.
1: I love it. I love it.
0: No, I mean, I think it's interesting. I also think what's interesting, too, is I've often found that if you are um, on the right path, sometimes just barriers seem to just disappear.
1: And that sort of shows you you're going in the right
0: direction. So you're saying, oh, they just happen to be moving. But it's just sort of like things sort of seem to line up.
2: Yeah, they really do. Sometimes they don't. but Sometimes sometimes. they don't. But occasionally
0: (laughs) you're just like, oh, okay, I think I'm on the right path because everything seems to be moving along in the correct direction. So um, when you set out to do the book, does National Geographic tell you it's going to be 250 pages and this is how many photos and this is how much copy do they are they really are you allowed to sort of organically say like you know i've got i i've got these amazing stories to tell about yosemite i really want to
2: they had a pretty this is part of a book series actually um so they had somewhat of a template for this one there had to be 100 parks Um, for example, Um, and they wanted all 63 national parks included. But they gave me leeway on which other parks that I could choose. And they also gave me leeway as to, I had like three different word counts to work with throughout. So I could choose which, how many word counts I wanted for which parks. Um, Um, And so, you know, there was, it was somewhat of a template, but it was also, there was a little bit of wiggle room in it um so it wasn't like i just got a blank slate to just sort of conceptualize the whole book um which was actually sort of nice because that all takes a lot of time and there was a pretty tight deadline um
0: so yeah i like i like being told you need to fill stuff in i it in screenwriting and okay. So mystery writing was a really good fit for me because when you write screenplays, it's like you have three acts and it has to take you know and you gotta move things along and all this sort of thing. And so it was it was good for me to be in genre fiction for that for that reason. Um, did you, after researching all these parks, did you end up with a favorite and one park you just think is incredibly boring, not worth visiting, <laughs> that you had to fluff up? You can what? be honest with us.
2: You know, I have to say the one that I found to be incredibly interesting um, was Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad National Historic Park. Mm-hmm. It's in Maryland, and it's a new park. And unbeknownst to me, it's actually the second National Park Service entity that is devoted to Harriet Tubman. The mm-hmm. other one is where she, she, she died. The other one's in New York where she free you know where she lived as a free woman but this one's in maryland where she was enslaved and they built the buildings oriented north so that they could sort of symbolize that that's where she was trying to get to and this 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 park it's it's more of a site i guess but it's sort of built amidst where harriet tubman had to work in these sort of swampy areas with her father. And she did really hard manual labor. And then there's the Harriet Tubman byway that passes these very, very important landmarks in her life, one of which was a general store where a slave owner threw a, threw a brick at an escaping slave and it accidentally hit Harriet Tubman. And she lived with epilepsy for the rest of her life. And she did all the things she did with terrible headaches and epileptic seizures. And so, you know, just that level of detail about a woman who has really not had much, you know, much, you know, national park play, I I thought was fascinating.
1: Um, I love that. I love that um, conceit that is of having a national park that recognizes her because she was so much a person of place. I mean, the place, of course, of the enslavement, but then the way that she managed to find freedom, but then go back and for how many times do you remember how many times I don't, you back yeah, I don't remember, but I think
2: over the course of her life, she, she helped to free about 750 people. And one of the reasons she kept going back was because she didn't want to live apart from her family. So right. she kept risking her life to get her family out of there, and other people came along. and Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, just those details that, that are shared at that park are, are just, you know, really incredible to think about.
1: Yeah. Um, I would love to visit it, and it's not far from us. So and I actually wrote a screenplay about Harriet Tubman, a biopic of Harriet Tubman, and I'd been meaning, and I still haven't done it, to... Um, do a a kayaking trip that would trace some of the land that she moved through. Wow. When did you do that biopic? I didn't I didn't know that. Yeah, I well I never it was never produced. Oh but okay. I wrote it, gosh, I don't know, 2016, I think. Wow. and it won our national or, I mean our, our state screenwriting competition, which is fun. That's uh, so cool. Yeah. Wow! I, yeah, she's always been a fascinating character to me, but again, very much a person of place. And she was so, she had to be so cognizant of the place she was in order to survive from, you know, the times of her enslavement, but certainly in her efforts toward freedom and bringing people toward freedom to know, you know, what what the um what to look for in the landscape that would enable them to evade slave catchers and also to orient yourself north and to get them north and to get them there without you know dying of (laughs) of cold or whatever else there was out there to um, well
0: I think I think we definitely need to have a um a trip to see to see that one in Maryland that sounds that sounds really awesome (sighs) I, so did you have one that was just a head scratcher that you were like, (laughs) what, why why did they think this was a good idea?
2: Well, actually I didn't have one that was a head scratcher because I picked all the ones that weren't national parks. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, um, so to me they weren't head scratchers to some people who read the book, they may be heads. Some may be head scratchers, but there, there, there are some. So, so what I try to do is I try to include every state and every, um, You know like puerto rico and guam every place that the u.s has planted a flag i tried to include a national park entity so um but some of the ones some of those are really interesting um you know some of the battlefields i have to confess i was not i'm not a battlefield type of a person but after having gone to little um the battle of little bighorn in montana and actually a couple other battlefields in Montana, the visceral feeling you get when you're at a battlefield really changes, change my feeling about battlefields. I mean, I, I'm not one who wants to really celebrate or think about war, but um but some of those. So I guess on the top of my head, I'd be like, hmm, battlefields, not really my thing, but I find them quite fascinating. Yeah. Actually, when you really look at what they represent
0: well growing up in virginia they were where you went to the restroom on your trip yeah (laughs) yeah you've got a few you can't you really you really just throw a stone and you land it on a civil war battlefield around here and occasionally revolutionary war the one that i think is quite um moving it's not that far from us is wilderness Hmm. i don't know i don't know anything about that well i don't know if you know about the battle itself but it. I was don't. In, it was in the woods. I'm sitting here
1: quiet because I don't know. Wilderness. Is um, it it's name? in. It's near it Fredericksburg. Wilderness? Oh wow!
0: And um, yeah. the 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 really sad part of it was basically it was in the woods and the woods caught fire. Oh. So the, a lot of the wounded ended up burning to death. Oh, oh no! So geez. a really a very bloody battle. But I think there's something sort of about being in a space where so many people have died. It's uh, I think you get that similar feeling at, at a cemetery or something where you just sort of feel that it is a bit sacred, you know. Yes. Because a lot of people in Civil War battlefields they never were sent home. They never were buried properly
1: or anything like that. You know, they had. To yeah, the care. knowledge of it. So there's something about knowing something about the history of the place on which you are standing Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that Mm -hmm. there's something really powerful about that yeah 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 and very poignant yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well and uh, stephanie how do you do so other like some of the shorter but still long pieces like articles that you've written for outside magazine how do you do you pitch an idea do they tell you what they want you to write and then how do you go about crafting
2: well it rarely happens that they tell me what they want me to write I mean I've worked with outside since 1995 and I'm still you know it's still I pitch them a story and you know I have varying levels of success I mean I don't think uh, you know it's not like they don't know who I am so they're not going to entertain my pitch, but they still say no, for sure. Oh,
1: Um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, um, you know, it's a really, it's a funny, it's evolved over the years. But I would say when I was doing, you know, international travel features, which I'm not doing much of anymore, just because I haven't been traveling internationally as much, you know, I would get sort of obsessed with an idea. And then (laughs) I would research it. like for example, Bhutan. I, I I really wanted to go to Bhutan because of, you know, this whole thing about gross national happiness.
1: Oh yeah. And
2: but you know, you have to have a timely reason to go to a a country. Um and yeah. so the king was retiring and he was essentially abdicating the throne to his son. Um, but he had all of these um you know hoops that the country had to jump through before he could actually retire and he's a super fascinating guy but so i sort of pitched this story just to to simplify it for a pitch is like the triple play of happiness you know like oh, this yeah reasons like so this so i went there with a Buddhist, a buddhist scholar who was uma thurman's dad actually bob thurman who's a super he's a very knowledgeable buddhist scholar um is probably the reason uma is the way she is but um so i went with him to go to bhutan which is quote an enlightened country um you know to understand their enlightened way of being you know and obviously that has holes in it like everything i mean You know, Bhutan is not a perfect country by any means. But so, yeah, so I mean, you have to do a lot of research to pitch these stories. And then, yeah, you have to put together a budget and you have to make it happen. And, you know, it's a ton of work. It's a ton of groundwork before you ever even get out the door. And then it's a ton of groundwork before you ever even write your first word, you know? So um, it's a lot of work.
1: (laughs) But you're not writing like all the time that you are, say, on a trip, like when you went to Bhutan. Would you be writing already? No, no, no.
2: Yeah, no, my process. I mean, I would take a bunch of notes, you know, and then I come home and I, like on the plane, I try to transcribe as many as I can. I transcribe all my notebooks.
1: And then I go through my
2: transcribed notebooks. I print out my transcribed notebooks. And then I go through those and try to, you know, pick up themes and things that I really want to write about. And then I, you know, break those out into an outline and then talk to my editor and, you know, and then, um, write a first draft and then write a second draft and then sometimes write a third draft. Um, so yeah, it's a long process. Yeah. It has been in the past, but you know, it's all changing too, because stories are shorter and, you know, Mm so.
1: And do you, when you do a story like that, do you craft it like having a kind of narrative arc? You have that kind of thing in mind or you talked about themes or maybe do you you know identify you can spend a section on this theme and a section on that theme or
2: yeah Yeah. magazine pieces i mean you guys write way longer form you know so you have to get you know you have to get quickly into things and you can never i mean you you never have the words that you want um you know (laughs) so so yeah i think it's thematic and you have to give a reason pretty upfront about why it's essential now to read, yeah, Um, you know, and in this case, it was about the sustainability efforts of this King, Um, you know, and, and, and so, um, so I, I don't, I think there is a narrative arc, but it's an extremely abbreviated narrative arc. I mean, you have to have a story. Um, Yeah. And in this case, it was a bunch of other people sort of seeking this Enlightened. Ah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Cool. So. and when you're done with a story like that, do you want to go back and write it? Write like a follow-up. Do you ever do that? Go back and do a follow-up to a piece, or do you just you know, get on to the next thing? I mean, you know, you. Just I'm. Go
2: I'm a pretty classic Gemini in that way, and that yeah. you know, I feel like I've really explored something to the depth that I want to explore it, and it's taken so much work. To do that, that I'm sort of exhausted by the end of the process, and so, um, so then you know I have to think about what I'm, how I'm going to make my next, you know, living. You know, that's always, you <laughs> know, that's always yeah. at the forefront of my mind. Like what, you know, what, what am I going to write about that is actually going to sell? And so it's rare that I can go back and revisit something, mm-hmm. you know, because I think editors would be like, oh, that's been done, you know. Ah, yeah. Um, yeah, hmm. Hmm. Um, But I do, I would love to go back and like revisit Bhutan for sure.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It sounds fascinating. Yeah. I've never been, but yeah, I love the depth that you bring to the writing that you do about these different places. Cause I feel like I don't, I, I'd like to go there and you make me want to see them even more, but I also feel kind of like I've been there and I understand something about them. Even while I'm still sitting in the comfort of my Virginia home.
0: <laughs> someday we'll, we'll travel mean. again.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> someday, yeah. someday. Well, we yeah. just really appreciate you joining us and, and sharing the book with us and all your processes. I mean, it's just fascinating. It, it does I know seem.
1: It's so different
0: a kind of writing. Yeah, just a, hearing about a different kind of writing. I mean, I write for work too, so I do articles and that kind of stuff but um, I've never been very good at it hopefully no one's listening from work I mean there's people who have obviously had way much more training and can really just you know synthesize information and just get through it and I tend to like agonize over it far longer because I'm like what am I doing
2: <laughs> well I appreciated your blog post about how you set a writing goal for yourself like you re- you set a number of words for yourself because that's like total discipline
0: oh yeah, yeah. and I um that's changed from time to time but I do feel like That has been a way for me to sort of at the end of the day say, did you work or did you not work? Because I think it's really hard when you're a writer to, like, what did you do? Oh, you sat and dreamed about where you want to go and you thought about Bhutan and maybe did some research. Was that a good day? Right. So hard. You know, but that's a necessary day. Mm -hmm. You have to have those days. So I think it's sometimes really hard as a writer to say, did I do okay? Can I just go read a book now? You know?
2: I I think there's a Walt Whitman quote somewhere that I cannot, cannot quote, but it's something about staring up at the clouds is like really productive. And I completely agree with that. Oh, I love
1: that. Yeah. 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 And I don't know who it was that said, much of writing is standing at the kitchen counter eating cereal out of the box. Yes. (laughs) Which is another... Uh, uh, we
0: we were uh chris and i did a writing retreat the other day just a one day at her house but we one of the funny things i remember is you know we sort of said okay we're going to do two and a half hours and there was a writer who would tie a string from his leg to the chair because he would forget that he was supposed to be writing for two hours and he would get up and then he'd drag the chair and he'd be like oh yeah i'm supposed to be sitting there oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) you get so into your own head you forget you're like oh i'm gonna go water the plants oh wait i'm supposed to be writing (laughs) focus focus (laughs) but um but anyway i hope it gets a little warmer there i don't hope for it to be 90 degrees for you anytime soon but um maybe it'll feel like summer soon for you and um, thank you it's
2: it's sunny today it's beautiful day today
1: awesome awesome yeah Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us, Stephanie. And good luck with 100 Great American Parks. I hope everyone runs out and buys it. It is definitely worth having. It's a beautiful book and um, beautifully written. Thank you so much for doing that and for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun talking with you. I want to go offline and talk about your projects now.
1: (laughs) We can do that. that. All right.
0: (laughs) Bye. 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 (laughs) Well, it was...
1: Delightful to talk to Stephanie. Yeah, she is a powerhouse of a writer and a thinker. And um, so, what a delight to have her on our show. Um, I'm eager to see and read what she comes up with next. She yes. Is certainly a writer to be watching for. But in the meantime, oh, this book, Meredith, you got to have a look. It's beautiful. And I want to go visit some of these parks.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're so lucky. To have so many wonderful ones and it is fascinating we have wonderful state parks
1: in we do Virginia. i know and we're going to one weekend after next for a music festival we love so much it's a beautiful state park i know i think about the parks in our country and libraries in a sort of they're sort of analogous to me it's like yes. it's just so amazing that we can just walk into a library and get all the any book you know yeah. and we have all these these resources in the librarians. And Stephanie reminded us what resources the people are who work in parks, for right? Us, that we can just go ask them and they're these amazing experts in all these different areas. Yes.
0: yes. And I and I think the whole notion of public service is something that was very much instilled in the whole founding of all these things that you're you're there for the public. You're there to serve the people. And so then it becomes really challenging when you say, Well, we'll serve some of the people like you have to do a reservation and you can't all come because we want everybody to be able to come. But of course that's not possible. That's right. So it's a, it's, it's a huge challenge and, um, you know, and I think always the answer is more parks. We need more parks, you know, more parks. Yes. More places that. that are set aside and preserved that people can enter and be in nature. And um, appreciate nature, which does all calm our spirit. And is we are a part of us. it. Yeah. We need it. Yeah. We so we've, okay, we've solved the world's problems. More parks.
1: <laughs>
0: moving on.
1: <laughs> uh, moving so through, on. Well, moving on. It's been great to visit with you as well. well and good luck talking. to
0: you in June. I know you're going to make it to the end. And. And I'm sure there'll be lots more revising to do, but it'll be a way for you to shut the computer, maybe have some fun, clear your mind, and come back with a fresh eye to your manuscript, which I think is That's always great. great. to
1: do on the ending. Woo!
0: Thank and you. We'll
1: gather up again next month.
0: Awesome. I will see you then.
1: All right. Bye. Bye.